Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of video storytelling. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit ProsperitasAgency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S-Agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is Matthew Hicks. After completing his bachelor's in liberal arts from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, Matthew found his way to the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where he completed a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and a master of science in integrative medical research. He's also completed a certificate in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He's the host of the Integrative Psychiatry Review podcast and founder of Synaptic Integrative Care and Training Institute, where he practices integrative mental health and ketamine assisted psychotherapy and provides training for clinicians in psychedelic therapy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Matthew, and welcome to the show. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So take me back a little bit. What first drove you to attend medical school? Yeah, it's when I was younger in undergrad, I changed majors like a billion times. And toward the end of it, I thought I would be a lawyer, actually. And then in my senior year, I did an internship with a lawyer and thought, eh, no, maybe that's not what I want to do. They, I, I fell in love with all the kind of civil liberties classes, defending civil rights into the Supreme Court. When I realized that's not what most lawyers do, I was a little, felt a little disenfranchised and floundered there for a while. But what I suppose drove me to the health sciences was a former partner uh, of mine, as my ex-wife now, but she had some health problems that just were not really getting addressed by kind of conventional medicine. And so she went on her health journey and saw uh, some alternative type of providers. And I don't know, I felt uh, some sort of calling to fix the broken healthcare system that we have uh, in this country, especially. And uh, just found lots of really fascinating things to study along the way, interesting problems that needed to be solved. And it was something that I wanted to be a part of. And so a much longer, complicated story short is I I wound up in in Portland 
and a naturopathic medical school with, with a passion, not only for holistic medicine, but also to support sort of the scientific research into some of these more alternative, I don't, I don't even really like the term alternative, but integrative uh, approaches that are often under researched. And uh, so that's why I did the simultaneous master's in, in medical research. And along the, that path, I also really knew that as a niche within all of that, I really was drawn to mental health. And from the beginning, I, I was uh, spending a little more time and attention on on, uh, on the mental health components of that and, and integrative uh, psychiatry, if you will, and learned a lot about meditation. And then psychedelics came on my radar back in 2016 or so. And uh, I just really dove into that subject pretty deeply. And uh, that sort of brings me to where, where I'm at now. That's awesome. And so what about that inspired you to actually move all the way into psychedelic assisted psychotherapy? It's, I guess to, to go back uh, again to my, my ex-wife who had a lot of psychosomatic problems going on. She had a lot of these physical health issues that were arising. And this, that's what people were failing to recognize was that it was actually mental health. And so they would run labs and do all this testing and not realize that she was actually had some unresolved traumas and, and whatnot. And so I became very interested in the mind-body connection, or even calling it a connection is an interesting use of words because they're not separate at all. But so I started off with a real interest in, in meditation, but finding my niche with how to address mental health, because herbs are great, medications sometimes are great, sometimes not. So just trying to find my way when a another naturopathic doctor by the name of Erica Zelfand, who is very knowledgeable in psychedelic medicine, gave a, a presentation in, in my medical school that was just really inspiring and introduced me to all the science of psychedelic medicine. And this was uh, before the Michael Pollan book, which really, there was a huge shift when his book came out, How to Change Your Mind. But this was before that, when it was still not unheard of, but less popular to, than it is now. And that, that was my inspiration was that lecture she gave. And so I started going to conferences and reading books and reading papers and ultimately wound up in the the certificate program from California Institute of Integral Studies. And yeah, I've really loved it. And, and also studied, you know, ketamine at Polaris Insight Center has a training program for that and kind of just, just started doing the work and doing my own exploring and, and navigating the territory and seeing the transformation that it can produce in people and have felt really inspired and called to it and continuing to really cultivate my skills around doing it and, and trying to share what I know through the training program. That That's awesome. So it seems like there's a fascinating difference sort of emerging between the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and the usual dichotomy that exists between a therapist or a, or a psychologist and a psychiatrist in that usually psychiatrists are the only one that can prescribe medicine, but it appears that everyone's been fairly open to allowing non-MDs to actually be doing psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Could you shed a little more light on that and some of your thoughts in that arena? 
Yeah, it's an interesting, in fact, I just last week had a paper uh, published on this very subject. You probably haven't had a chance to see it yet, but uh, <laughs> it, it was published in the Journal of Psychedelic Psychiatry. And the title of it is, it's a question, is psychedelic therapy integrative medicine? Because this question does come up a lot, even, uh, and it's important to to describe term integrative because that's a term that gets used very different in, def in different by different people. In, in some cases, they just say if there's a, an MD, as conventional as they may be, if they have a psychotherapist in their work that they're working with, they call that integrative medicine. I think that's a little bit of a, it's not that it's not integrative necessarily, but that's not the definition I use. I, I think integrative means a little bit more to me in that it's it's more holistic. It's more integrative in the sense that we're seeing a person as a whole, not just a body that a physician treats and a mind that a psychotherapist treats. It's There's a little more to it than that. You're a part of the universe that consumes nutrients that need to be considered nutritionally, that needs exercise to function properly, that needs good relationships to function properly and have some energy that needs to move. And anyway, it's, we're all these like kind of complex nuanced beings. And so my term of integrative is, is to say that practitioners who embody that, that knowledge, that nuance are practicing integrative medicine by my definition, but not just mine. That's what I think most of my colleagues in the naturopathic profession would probably agree with that. But psychedelics present this sort of interesting shift in the mental health paradigm. And it brings to light the dichotomy we have created of in healthcare, one dualism that separates the mind and the body. And physicians treat that and insurers cover this and not that and vision and dental are separate. And we create all these like false divisions and that's reflected in medical specialties. For example, you see this all the time where patients get bounced around. In fact, I'm a member of a number of professional uh, groups where we kind of share cases and consult one another. And I had a patient recently that I, it was a little complex and I put something on there and it was interesting to see different feedback coming and people are like, oh, I'm, I'm a psychiatrist, but I never handle addiction because I don't specialize in, in this. They should send him to this person and to that. And they were just like willing to bounce this guy around all over the place. When I had a really good therapeutic rapport and I'm not an addiction specialist in particular, but it's, it can be so compartmentalized. We're forgetting that there's actually just a human being suffering <laughs> that needs our help. And that's something that we can do and certainly knowing our limitation and what we're good at, what we're not good at and having good people to refer to, that's all really important. And I don't just take anybody because they're, they're, you can certainly see the occasional professional gets a little arrogant thinking they can do it all. And that's maybe erring on the other extreme. But to get back to your question is that psychedelics bring in this interesting opportunity for different types of professionals to work together. Because certainly most physicians are not very good at counseling, and yet there is medicine involved with physiology involved that psychotherapists are not trained to deal with. And there are some risks with these substances. So there's a need 
for collaboration and cooperation between these different professions to maximize safety and efficacy for people seeking these treatments. And so there's an ideal place, I think, for, for people trained as I am, as like a naturopathic doctor, but also Chinese medicine practitioners, as well as functional medicine oriented physicians who maybe have conventional backgrounds, but have done more work. Nurse practitioners are often very integrative in, in their ethos, if not their training. And so there's a, a lot of opportunity to learn from each other and to collaborate and, and, but to really put the patient at the center of it and see how do we build a team around that person and give them the best care possible. And I think that is, it's a really interesting opportunity because as I've said, that's it's a weakness in the healthcare system. It's one of the problems that I saw that drew me to being an integrative medical provider is to bring the patient back to the center of the equation, not the insurance companies and how they can make more money and not how we can you know, feed the egos of the top surgeon in the country who needs like the huge paycheck to, to feel good about himself. But like, how do we actually put the, the patient at the center to help them uh, achieve their optimal well-being? And so that's, that's what I think psychedelics are presenting us with the opportunity to do. And I hope that we do it well. And that's something that remains uh, to be seen in some ways, but I'm optimistic in, in many ways. Yeah, and it seems like to me, it's almost like a flip side of a concept in the legal side, the legal industry, which is mm -hmm. access to justice. And so if we had mm -hmm. psychedelics, it was just like if we cordoned it off like we do pharmaceutical antidepressants or something and said, OK, only psychiatrists can prescribe these, that then you I don't even think we'd be as far along as we are right now. It's pretty incredible that we still have cannabis as a schedule one drug. And meanwhile, several cities and states all in. Let's do it. Mushroom, peyote in some cases, iboga, which I think iboga is like the wildest one I've seen because there's a little more actual physical danger depending on like the dosage there. But but people, they're just like all in. Let's do it because there's so many with iboga, especially there's really excellent evidence of it helping to, you know, curb opiate addiction and things like that. And so right. I really think it's really inspiring and, and it makes me very optimistic for it that it is like, hey, Let's keep this as open as possible. We're going to do some things that will push this down FDA approval lanes. But at the same time, we want this to be something that is open to any therapist or psychologist of a certain level of education and experience uh, and maybe some other certifications that come along so that this can actually come out to the masses, right? And like you were talking about with your ex, the number of psychosomatic health issues in this country is staggering. And people hate to hear, oh, it's all in your head. But the fact is, like, if you read something like the body keeps the score, you really realize like, so much of the physical ailments we have are just creations of our own brain. And then we get locked into certain ways of thinking and, and things like that. And that it's just a never ending recursive loop, just you're spiraling out of control and your physical health just worsens as your mental health worsens. And so I'm really inspired to see that, oh, hey, like full bore, let's continue to be laboratories of democracy. Let's just decriminalize all this stuff and just open it up so that people can get help. And I think ketamine too, is so wild to me that like how popular and widespread ketamine assisted psychotherapy is now when I would have thought maybe it would have been mushrooms first or something, but ketamine is so transformative. Mm -hmm. It is a really powerful tool there. 
Yeah. There's a couple interesting topics that you bring up there. And, and certainly one of the big ones is just around the, the legal issues and how these how it's going to evolve still remains to be seen. And we're seeing efforts in all sorts of directions. And there's there's different discourses on, on these. The previously dominant discourse is the pathological one that all drugs are bad. And that's really one more of control that has roots in patriarchy and racism in, in the past is how, how these things ended up being all schedule one. But as we try to change that, there there are a lot of different ideas about how we should do it. And one one is certainly more the the medicalized model, which is these should only be in the hands of qualified professionals. And and it's and then there's other discourses that say no, these are they come from the earth and therefore we're all entitled to them. And both have both of those arguments have truth in them because they do carry risk. And certainly people probably will get hurt as they become more more popular and end up in you know emergency rooms and and doctors will have to deal with it. And at the same time, they are also really safe for the vast majority of people. And so a lot of people can benefit without with that. So who's to say that? everybody needs to pay the the, the fee of, of a physician and then some other professional to sit there and watch them just to an experience that takes place within one's own mind. And so there, this back and forth that I see happening, and there's, a, there's another group that's in the middle that says, yes, we should have guides, but who, who should those guides be? And there's certainly a lot of people right now that are not well-trained and are, are using terms like shaman to, in some cases, legitimately so, where they've done a lot of their own training and background and more um, kind of uh, indigenous practices and, and, and whatnot. But I also see other people taking it as a shortcut. They don't want to go to medical school or graduate school to become a therapist. And they just think they're going to get enlightened by doing a few psychedelics and just starting to lead people on it. And and I get patients once in a while who've seen people like this who are taking advantage of the underground market for this type of therapy that's emerging. And they're having bad experiences in some cases. There's also a lot of good ones out there. I don't want to paint too dark a picture, but it's just to say that it's complicated. And what's also very true is that we are very naive in our culture around the use of these substances because of this era of prohibition that we're coming out of. So it's one thing for uh, a culture that has had ayahuasca in it, an Amazonian uh, culture that has a long relationship with it. Children grow up. They know the medicine man, medicine woman in their village who does. They see ceremonies from a distance. They participate in the coming of age thing. And it's just, they're ingrained with it. They know what happens. They've seen people who've had positive reactions and negative reactions and whatever. It's part of their culture. But for most Westerners, because we've been indoctrinated with the just say no uh, dogma that all drugs are bad. Now we're being told, oh, well, science says that now they're good. And so there's this rush of interest to it. And people don't know all the risks and the pros and the cons, and they don't know how to hold space for themselves, for, for their friend who's doing it, for 
doing it in groups? What's the right setting? And these things aren't necessarily hugely complicated where you need to go get a whole degree and become like the world's leading expert in it in order to benefit from it. But there, there are these important risks to be aware of and practices to, to optimize to benefit. And at, at a cultural level, we just are not there yet. Your neighbor doesn't know what you're going through if you, you know, run outside your house naked because you feel like you're one with the universe. <laughs> they think, oh, there's a person going wild on, on drugs and call the cops on you, even if you're completely harmless in that state. I, that's a silly example I just made up, but there, there will be a time perhaps when we have culturally in, in integrated these drugs, these therapies in, in such a way that people know about them. Kids know about them as they're growing up. It can even be a part of like a coming of age. You get to a certain point, you have your first psychedelic experience, you feel the oneness of the universe, and you grow up with sort of the knowledge of, of how these things work and what they do and what the risks are. But right now, we're at a point where we need a lot of education to to get there. And so I take the middle, the middle perspective is no, we don't need a, a strictly medicalized model, but going at, you know, to a completely decriminalized free for all, it might be the end goal, but some people are going to get hurt along the way. I think if we go, if we went straight to that, but like I said, that's a, it's a nuanced conversation and we see lots of efforts, a lot of decriminalized bills coming forward in various states and municipalities. And certainly here in Oregon, where I am, we have a, a sort of a hybrid uh, approach that we're taking with our law that just passed the last year. And we'll see, you know, how that does. And it may not be the... It might change and evolve over time. We might see federal laws change that make it obsolete. I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a, definitely a very interesting in in this field. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I saw a, a study like a few weeks ago on LinkedIn, and you know it said something like sixty five percent or something like that of people don't believe that there's a medical benefit to taking psychedelics. And I was like, and people are just like, oh, like all like up in arms about it, like industry folks. And I was like, I'm pretty sure like not even 35% of people have done psychedelics. So I think this is literally just straight ignorance. It's mm -hmm. just people who have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And of course, looked it up and was like, oh, yeah, it's less than 30% of people have ever taken psychedelics. Well, less than 30%. And so, of course, like they have no, you look, the same thing happened with same-sex marriage, even cannabis. It's, if you have no personal experience with stuff, and by and large, if it's been presented through social and cultural conditioning, that it's like this boogeyman, it's like super scary, it's going to kill you or whatever, then yeah, you're obviously going to think it sucks. And it's not until like you had those experiences that then you're like, oh, wait a minute, this is actually totally legit. And so I think, yeah, as we see it, start to permeate like popular culture yeah i often wonder like how many states are gonna legalize this before cannabis is descheduled federally right it's mm -hmm. this kind of crazy race because cities and states have just been like yeah we're not gonna wait anymore like we saw that the sky didn't fall when we legalized cannabis or did whatever we did with that and so we're just gonna move on because there's we've got opiates killing thousands of our citizens and we want to find something different for people and just like move on into a new paradigm yeah definitely really excited for this decade and what it could hold and right. so i'm wondering also 
obviously with like psychiatry, it's not really a thing that like psychiatrists have to try the antidepressants or pharmaceuticals that they're prescribing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's maybe a different dimension when it comes to psychedelics. And so I'm wondering, how do you feel about how important it is for therapists to have actually experienced the psychedelics that they prescribe? It's absolutely crucial. It's just, it has to, you have to be required to do it. I, I just don't see any other way around it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't really trust a river guide who had never been on the river you're boating down. It's and like you point out, I, I sometimes prescribe an antidepressant, but I myself have never been on one, but I don't necessarily need to have that experience. If I don't need it because it's not, it's just, it's just different. I don't need to try insulin if I'm not diabetic either, but this is very different because it's an otherworldly experience. And to have someone attempting to guide you based on, I don't know, theory and simple reports from others, like it could be done, but it's not going to, it's definitely not going to be optimal. And it, it, I get the question all the time with my patients. They want to know if I've done it before because it's a little scary. It's a vulnerable position to be put in, to do this, to go there with somebody to know that, Hey, I'm going to have weird thoughts and maybe take some, say some weird things. I want to know that you've put yourself in this position before. And I have, and that's part, it's part of the training, certainly in any traditional shamanic tradition that is without question a part of the, the journey. What is, what makes it interesting in the modern Western context is just the legal issue. In programs like the one I did, the CIIS program, they are completely above board, legal, and endorse anyone going out there and, and, and don't, certainly don't provide any opportunities to experience the treatment outside of, of legally sanctioned, like clinical trials, for example. But in my experience, most people are having their own experiences. Nonetheless, because that's important to do, another legal option is to do ketamine, which is a legal treatment. And so a lot of people are are doing that or going or traveling to countries where it is legal going to central or south america for example and that's something i'm actually organizing in the training program that i'm developing is a healer's retreat uh, a peer supported for people training or or doing the, the work to come have their own sort of healing space and to gain uh, experience navigating it. We're doing that in Jamaica and as well as with ketamine in, or because it, it is really crucial to not only just have the experience to, to understand the, I don't know, the phenomena of it, but also to do your own healing work, which is really crucial. And doing this work can be stressful. It can be really emotional. It can be uh, a lot of things for the clinicians themselves, for myself. And so creating spaces where we can have those experiences, but also to do our own work is really important. And so I, we actually I, we definitely need to create opportunities for that. That's awesome. So I'm wondering in, in terms of ketamine, or I'm not sure what like the medical terminology is for like K-hole or something, how far down are you putting people like how, and how can ketamine help people with their mental health? Yeah. So the term K-hole, people ask me this a lot, patients do. And I think ketamine has multiple reputations, but one, one of them is as being a party drug. And that's something that's hard for me to understand. I've never done ketamine in a party setting because most, it often makes people feel 
fairly sedated. But I suppose if you take a lower dose, might lower people's inhibitions and they can dance and party and, and whatever. But anyway, in that context, that's where the term K-hole usually comes from. And that's when someone does perhaps a higher dose that's not as conducive for a party scene because a K-hole is is basically a psychedelic experience is the best way I would put it. And that's actually more or less where I intend to put most people in the way I work with ketamine in, in my clinic and on the retreats I lead. So that the dose varies from person to person. It's something that's metabolized differently. It also depends on the route of administration, if it's an intramuscular injection or sublingual. But what makes ketamine useful clinically compared to other psychedelics is it's shorter shorter acting. So we can have a shorter visit so they're not there all, all day. And uh, that makes it a little bit uh, cheaper, more accessible in terms of paying an hourly rate for it. And the drug itself is also very cheap. But uh, let's see, I'm losing track of your question here. It was, did I answer your question? Oh, uh, sort of half of it. The other half was just like, how does it really help people with their mental health? Because I think there is like the right. K-hole side of you're really becoming observer, right? Like you're stepping out from your first person experience to having somewhat of a third person experience that I think is different from other psychedelics that may be like, oh, we're one with the universe and it's just going to go up and out a little bit. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because ketamine is some, it's not... It's well known for people who are paying closer attention to psychedelics, but I'd say in the broader community, there's still a lot of um, ignorance around it. And so people often will find me, for example, and say, oh, you lot about psychedelics. I want to do mushrooms. Can we do mushrooms? <laughs> and I tell them mushrooms aren't legal yet. No, but have you considered ketamine? And I also confront, even from professionals, a bias and say, oh, I only like plant medicine. And they think that somehow plants are more spiritual than a synthetic compound. And I argue with them, actually. And I'm a naturopathic doctor. I love botanical medicine. I, I use it. I study it. I love plants. Absolutely. Ketamine is no less uh, a sacred substance than, than mushrooms, I, I would say. It's different. There are some differences. I would say a mushroom experience is a little more naturalistic in a way in that your imagery might be a little more earthy in the sense of seeing, connecting, having a, sen a felt sense of connecting with the universe and trees and mother nature and, and, and whatnot. And, but ketamine, you know, people talk to me about near-death experiences, communing with their ancestors, having really vivid imagery of all sorts of ty types of things. It's very psychedelic. And of course, there's plenty of research on its antidepressant effects. And there's an infusion model. It doesn't really pair it with much psychotherapy at all. It's just come get the drug infused a few times a week. And that's their treatment. And that's evidence-based. That helps people. I, I use it in this ketamine-assisted psychotherapy model, which is uh, much more along the lines of what you read about psilocybin in those clinical trials where we're sitting with people and, and doing integration before and after their their sessions but it's a really marvelous treatment that works for people and i'd say i use it most most often in the case of depression but it's also useful in in the treatment of, of trauma and in some cases anxiety and uh yeah it's a wonderful treatment that that i've really seen some really positive results from yeah, I definitely agree with the like sort of dichotomy you raised there, like between it and mushrooms. I think it's definitely a much more 
almost existential psychedelic experience it almost can remove it's like something that can essentially show you that yeah like time is totally non-existent it's just a fiction we engage in to help coordinate our lives but you're able to step out of that and see the timelessness of the universe itself it's definitely really fascinating uh fascinating experience and yeah i definitely recommend it to everyone and so i'm wondering like what when you're doing it or when you're doing a, a therapy session with it are people taking it having their own experience and then you go through a little after session because it lasts for what like 45 ish minutes so do you wait to do the therapy after or are you actually doing the therapy throughout them having the experience yeah there are different models out there of how people work with it there's a psycholytic model that involves much lower doses where people are able to um engage more with a therapist and and that's a great that's a great model that some people prefer to work that way what i typically do is a little bit more higher dose it's more of a psychedelic experience and people have a challenging time communicating during the experience and so i really emphasize the importance of an integration session which i do usually a day or two later we have a one hour session where we come back and that also gives them the benefit of a day or two of hindsight to reflect on their experience and from that we make meaning from it how how are you adjusting back to your life and i encourage them journal day of and try to remember as much of it as possible but like i said there's other models some people have longer visits with the intention of doing sort of integration toward the end but people react differently to the medicine too so my my ketamine sessions themselves i schedule for two and a half to three hours long and like you said it's 45 minutes to an hour for most people for the majority of the peak effects are pretty much coming down at that point but sometimes people do still struggle to to find words and to make sense of their experience and they they don't want to talk much and i don't ever push anybody to talk. Sometimes we're just sitting there until their ride comes to pick them up and that's okay. Or just minimal amounts of communication. Uh, but other people, they're ready to go and they're ready to talk. And so we're doing the integration work at the end of the visit anyway. And yeah, it just, it's not the same for everybody. It's uh, it varies quite a bit. Mm, indeed. And I also really appreciated what you talked about people being like, it's not a plant, it's synthetic or something like that. And I find it fascinating and encouraging that you as a naturopathic uh, physician are able to still push back against that. And I've, I've talked about this on the show before with some other um, psychedelic industry people that I subscribe to like the Carl Sagan approach when he said to cook from scratch, you must first invent the universe. So I take this approach <laughs> exactly. to like natural yeah. versus synthetic is a completely false dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Like we've never created and we've never created something that couldn't be created in the universe. Like we're just using the things that we have. And so to me, it's no different from a bee making honey or any other animal, like making some byproduct that it makes from some different thing or a beaver making a dam. It's just taking something that's in the environment. So whether it's like LSD and taking like ergot fungus or something or manufacturing ketamine, it's just we're taking elements and tools that are out there for us and we're crafting something new and tinkering around with it and finding new ways that it can affect us. Like I've talked before about, I think it's, I always look to, yeah, on the natural side of, oh, why does this exist? Like these naturally occurring things. I think I've said before, I think like the craziest one, the craziest example is salvia, which mm -hmm. is the strongest natural 
quote unquote naturally occurring hallucinogen in the world that basically sends you to another dimension for five to 15 minutes or so, depending on the strength. But it's that kind of thing to me that I really think should make people like stop and ponder like the nature of the universe because it's this is mm. here like why is it here if not for us to see something else to pierce the veil and see what else is out there and what our reality really is and i think our ability to like make those things for ourselves is just another sort of facet of that like our brains are advanced enough to allow us to make compounds that also allow us to pierce the veil and i think that's a really fascinating concept in and of itself yeah, it's a, biology is whether you're talking about a plant or a you know, synthetic compound that's just one molecule, it's all geometry and chemistry and physics. And so it, 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 if anything, it's really can deepen your appreciation for the complexity of plants in a way that you have this like thing that has a genetic code that produces these enzymes and compounds and has all these effects when we put it in our body and how it interacts with our various you know receptors and and transporters and 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 stuff it, and at the same time we're part of it and at the same time we're symbiotic we have more you know bacterial cells in our gut than our our own and um i mean it's just like the complexity of the universe is astounding and almost incomprehensible and yet we're in it and we're of it and we can either really be created or destroyed. We're just part of this continuum of it. And it, we re I recently did a, a podcast episode on existentialism and, and this comes up a lot in doing this work because people are, you know, afraid of and encounter nihilism sometimes in, in these experiences because you're confronted with how small you are in, in in the context of this huge universe that we're a part of and for for some people that's really comforting that we're a part of this huge universe and somehow i'm conscious i'm aware of it wow that's amazing and most people are have a pretty profound experience with that in the moment but for people who struggle with their own significance, they'll become aware of it. And when default mode network kicks back in to old patterns, it, it becomes scary for them. In this big universe, look how small I am and unimportant. And that's something that has to be wrestled with. And, and that's the importance of the ego dissolving experience of psychedelics. Certainly we need our egos, our sense of self to function in the world, to continue surviving. But when they become really rigid, we think somehow that we need to be important in the context of the universe. And But to take a sort of a Buddhist perspective, there actually is no self. There's no separation between me and the tree that I'm looking out through my window at right now. We're both made of the same earth stuff the same things and that tree is probably older than i am but we'll both die at some point and be reclaimed by the earth and those same molecules that my body is made out of right now will be incorporated in some other thing that might grow out of it i might sit as dirt for who knows how long but we're all a part of this like really vast continuum and, and that to me is really amazing. And there's an opportunity in that also to experience a, a very deep love. I don't know if, I, if anything I've said up to this point really describes love so much, but it's also a, a very common experience that people have is confronting 
that the uni- the, this principle of the universe that we actually are love and that the universe is almost made out of of love and we can connect with it and it doesn't mean us harm it's sometimes feels benign and uncaring but it's all those things and it's none of those things at the same time and uh, i'm starting to to ramble a bit at which point i just i marvel at the mystery of it all i don't claim to have the answers or to have a, a super clear philosophy that summarizes it succinctly but i have a deep curiosity uh, about what makes us who we are and Curiosity can cure a lot of uh, a lot of those problems of existential dread that people struggle with at times. And so I, I always encourage people to continue being curious about these things. Well, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think as much as there's like the old saying of you experience like ego death every night when you go to sleep, you pass back into unlimited, unbounded ocean of consciousness, but you're sleep so you don't actually feel it other than maybe in some dreams but experiencing waking ego death through things like ketamine and other psychedelics that can cause it i think is a really powerful experience and i think is also some for some people i mean like for me i enjoy it i think it's like a little different than most people right like most people don't want to go hang out in a k-hole or something or have like really crazy take like a god dose of something and have a really impactful insane experience because i think there is a lot of loaded verbiage and mindset around quote unquote a bad trip which for me like i've had several of what i think the average person would say was a bad trip i don't think i've ever had a bad trip because it's just a lot of times it's what people feel is a bad trip i think the universe is saying hey what the fuck are you doing or hey you need to work on yourself or hey you have this you're an asshole or you need to be better at this in your life and all of these psychedelics we're talking about there i view them in and of themselves as therapists right like they're actually regardless of who's sitting with you who's helping you whatever even if you did it on your own there is a therapeutic effect because it gets you to look inside yourself in ways that your normal brain is just generally not willing to do like the amount of introspection it just naturally forces upon you and it's like weapons grade compared to your own meandering thoughts, uh, like right. trying to avoid right. actual like taking responsibility for your life and taking responsibility for your actions yeah. and what you've done. And yeah, so- and, there, and there there are two sides to that coin. And one side that you're speaking to is what I call the inner healing in, in naturopathic medicine. We call it the V's, the healing power of nature. And different forms of psychotherapy call it all sorts of different things. But it's this part of you that has the answers right that's in you that's your true self if you want to call it a self and the role of any guide therapist medicine guide whatever is really to just help you access it and my role is to get out of the way and help you get out of your own way and help your parts that cloud your your ability to hear it and get them out of the way and yeah the, these molecules these plants whatever they are guides but they're also not complete answers unto themselves they're not they're they never give you the complete package they never solve all of your problems and often in the other side of the of the coin is that they're limited in, in that sense and you have to just do the work And I sometimes get a patient once in a while 
that comes and said, oh, I've done LSD here and I've done ketamine there and I've done ayahuasca and a little bit of this on the side. And they come to me looking for the next answer. And sometimes the answer is actually you just need good psychotherapy. You need help accessing the inner healing intelligence that you have. And, and you have to stop expecting the compounds to give it to you. The work is the work and it, it's hard and there are no shortcuts. And so these substances and these therapies are tools, they're guides, and having help in using them and navigating the experiences is really crucial. And people have, sometimes they reach the limitations of these experiences by themselves and, and they need a little help of a professional who knows how to work with them to help them get really what they're after. And so it's important, it's important to know that and to know that you don't actually need medicine in all cases. Maybe you need to do some meditation. Maybe you just need to sit down with a therapist and, and to look at your shadow and to the harder work of looking within yourself for the answers instead of looking for the answers out there in, in the mystical universal realm that these uh, things can be amazing and therapeutic for some and a uh, distraction for others. And that's a really important thing, phenomenon to be aware of this spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot. It can really be a hindrance to, to some people. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Matthew, this has been a really fun and enlightening and fascinating conversation. And it's been uh, really awesome to talk to you today. But it does bring me to my last question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Oh, kindest thing. I don't, it's hard to say the kindest thing. I, I guess the thing that comes to mind right now is when I, I was a, a freshman in college and really struggling. I, I, college was an escape from really difficult upbringing in my family. And so I didn't necessarily have a plan. I just knew I had to get away from home. And I ended up going to a really expensive college that I got into, but really struggled. And my car I drove some old shitty car that I bought on my own, working some minimum wage job. And it was falling apart and I was lonely and, but I was a part of this community and, and someone got wind at one point uh, that I was struggling. And, um, and one day I, I was checking my mail and someone had uh, just given me, I don't know, it was like 500 bucks in cash anonymously. And I have a few suspects of who, who that person might've been, but I, I still, this day, I still don't really know who it was and 500 bucks is not necessarily a life-changing amount of money but it was really really touching to me that someone would support me in in that way and not to take credit for it not asking it for anything in return i guess it restored some faith in in humanity and to know that the world is not it's not all cold dark indifference that the people out there do care about each other. And so that, that was a big moment for me in, in a time when I was struggling. And certainly the, there's been other big acts of kindness, but that's, that's what stood out to me just now. Oh, that's a beautiful story. Thank you so much for joining me today, Matthew. It's been a pleasure to get to speak with you today. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Today's episode was brought to you by Prosperitas, specializing in making stunning videos to help you win more customers and look your best online. 
Visit ProsperitasAgency.com today to learn how they create unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Mm-hmm.